to the Onyx Pathcast. I'm this week's host, Eddie Webb, and with me are Dixie Cochran. Hello. And that's it right now. Yeah, um, it's just me. It's just me. It, it's, just, it's just me and Dixie right now. Um, so uh, normally we have lots of fun banter at the start and blah, blah, but I think it's, we, we should take a moment to talk about a little bit. Um, things are a bit weird right now. I think that's an understatement. What? Things are weird? <laughs> no, things are freaking weird. Things are things are weird. Um, uh, if you're listening to this um, in in our archives, you know, many years hence, um, well, welcome to the future, and thankfully we survived. But um, I'm not right laughing now. at the situation. I'm laughing at your comment. <laughs> right, and make that perfectly clear. <laughs> we we are recording this just um, when when a lot of of the U.S. in particular, but lots of places over the world, have encouraged self isolation during uh, the COVID nineteen outbreak. Um, so uh, uh, Matthew currently is at home taking care of his family, so it's going to be just Dixie and I today. Um, you may also hear lots of background noise that you wouldn't normally hear in our recordings and the like, um, because lots of people are working from home, which means that those of us who, like Dixie and I, who work from home regularly um, are used to this, so we're usually used to having houses to ourselves. Yep. <laughs> we're used to having other people in the same space as us. So it's and I think, I think both Eddie and I have two extra people in our houses that we're not used right. to. Yeah, and um, you know, not everyone has their home office, so there's lots of um, things going on, and we're all trying to work together and collaborate. Um, but uh, uh, it seems on the surface like, oh, everyone work from home, so you can get more done. But the reality is, there's lots of logistic shifts, and it impacts lots of, of things at Onyx Path, even. Um, like, for example, a lot of our freelancers do have day jobs, and so they're trying to manage what their new day job situation looks like in conjunction to their freelance work and the like. So there's a lot going on. Yeah. And we do have freelancers that work in government. We have freelancers that work in healthcare in various countries. So like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just an odd situation right now. It is. So um, we do appreciate uh, your patience while we kind of uh, get through. We're going to try to keep doing the pathcast as much as we can. Um, uh, we'll see how things go right now. We do have some backup plans and some ideas. Um, we're going to talk more about those after this recording as well not not live we're just going to talk about them by ourselves you're not going right, to hear yeah, about yeah. that right yeah yeah not on, the, <laughs> on, the, on the recording i should say um there's going to be a separate unrecorded meeting where we talk about what we're going to do um so we'll have more information as we go out um so one of those of course is that we had talked about doing uh our five minute pitches um episode this week and so we're um, not going to be doing that, but instead um, uh, we've shuffled some things around and luckily uh, our friend Travis Legg uh, has decided to jump on to uh, act kind of as uh, temporary Matthew to help us out on the bathcast. So, temporary oh, Matthew? I know. Hi Travis. Hello. <laughs> was, that, was that your Matthew Dawkins? <laughs> that, was, that was my Matthew strange hello impression. How'd I do? <laughs> that, that, that was pretty good. He always does like a, like a weird hello. I like it. <laughs> Hello. You, you have the weird hello down. That's all you need to do. Everything else is just coasting at this point. Right, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, you can just mute for the rest of the episode. It's I've, fine. We don't I've have done my work. Here. My job here is done. <laughs> yeah. If you could actually make an oblique reference to going into the sea, that would help, but not required. Yes, I will, uh, I will swoosh my cape and descend into the dark depths of the ocean. <laughs> Does it? Doesn't Travis live in the Midwest? I feel like walking into the I, sea is a hell of a prospect. I, I do. It would be about a three-day walk. If I... <laughs> You're going to slowly trudge into the sea. I'm yeah, just going to the... see him walk walk past my house on the way to uh, on on the way to the ocean. I'll wave. Well, 
Although, like what, would be, what would be more American Matthew Dawkins than walking into Lake Michigan, which I could do relatively easily. <laughs> so. That's fair. Also, but I think the whole time you're still like holding the cape in front of your nose, like the entire time you're, you're well, stalking through to the water. Yeah. Once you've, once you've committed to the cape swoosh, you kind of have to see it through until you're no longer being observed. What's, what's good about that, though, is that the cape swoosh uh, is the method people want you to use for coughing right now cough just right right into your elbow there you go they call it the uh, dracula cough <laughs> there you it go it's dramatic yeah. and safe that's that's a important safety tip on the pathcast this morning <laughs> cough like dracula also is that a cat do we have a cat guest we do mr crowley has decided that he wants my wife's attention as she is home mr crowley yeah we've got uh, mr crowley and dreamer who are both named uh due to ozzy osborne in one fashion or another and then our youngest nice. is Zagtamoy, because um, we found her in, in all dirty in a garage. And I was like, oh, it's our little demon queen of fungus. And she kind of lives up to the name. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, my youngest daughter, who is now 19, holy cow, um, has a this gift for finding... Uh, stray animals on our property. I don't know how it happens, but it's mm -hmm. not like I, you know, I live in the Midwest, but it's not like I live at, like on the Kent farm. You know, I'm, I'm in a city. Um, you know, <laughs> but just right. random chickens show right. up, you know. But yeah, a couple <laughs> years ago, my brother in law has a dog um, named Renfield. Um, uh, it was a, a pit bull pup. That one morning she was, you know, my daughter was going out for school. It was a winter morning, probably 20 below zero with the wind chill, like really cold Illinois winter. And there's this uh, pit bull sitting on our porch, just about minutes away from being frozen to death. And, and, yeah, I just Aww. don't know. I don't Puppy. know uh, how she, like, she was literally like the least attentive person I've ever met in my life. So it amazes me that she noticed the dog was there. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, she, uh, she has found a number of strays. It's her special gift. So I have a, I have a story that relates to this while we're doing our pre-interview, you know, random talk. Um, so as a kid, I used to go to, you know, this like daycare after school program thing um, while, while my mom was working. And one day, one of the people that ran the daycare brought kittens in because her cat had kittens and she was trying to give them away to families. And I was like, mom, I want a cat. And I went and picked up a little black cat. And my mom was like, if you had picked up any of them aside from the black one, we, I would have said no. But mm -hmm. the black one and I love black cats. So we took her home and that was midnight and we had her for like 15 years and she was great. But then oh, wow. when I was in high school, like uh, I want to say freshman year. I, um, there was a kitten at my bus stop and I was like, kitten, it was a little black kitten once again. And mm -hmm. it followed me onto the bus. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what to do about this. And but one of my friends was like a towel and I wrapped it in the towel, like a gym towel, I guess. And I took it to school with me and I was like, well, now this kitten doesn't even know where it is because my school <laughs> was like 30 minutes away from my house. Um, and I went and found like a science teacher that had like a bucket in her classroom. We put the kitten in the bucket. Um, <laughs> this, this this was a whole day when I was a, a, a kid. I don't know. Um, we put the kitten. It was it was like a big plastic tub, like a like a I don't know, like a laundry tub almost. Right. Um, we put the kitten in the tub. The kitten stayed in the tub all day, and I brought it like milk and some like turkey scraps at lunch from like a sandwich because I was like, "What do you feed a kitten at school?" 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then I brought it home with me. One of my friends gave me a ride home, thank God, to take out the bus again. Um, <laughs> and I brought it home with me, and I was like, uh, this is Cat followed me home. And that was Aries, and we had him for about 12 years. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, 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 I had a knack at, a, at one point for finding black cats, because I found there was another one on the porch later, and my mom was like, so help me God, if you bring my kitten inside. <laughs> yeah, I think there's... So you take it to I a think shelter. Like a, two, a two stray limit, I, am, I, I think, am. is what, what uh, you're allowed. Right. Up. But I really wanted that third one. It was slightly fluffy. The other two weren't fluffy. The third one was a little fluffy. I was like, look at this kind of fluffy kitten. Nope. I'm just, I'm shocked. I am shocked that Dixie, of all people, is prone to finding black cats. I also rescued a black cat from my apartment's fire escape when I was living in Connecticut. You know, was it black? Yes. It was a <laughs> giant, long-haired black, like black cat. Uh, it ended up belonging to the mom of one of my friends, uh, but I guess it got out of her window onto the fire escape, and then it got stuck and didn't know how to get back down. So I went up there with a cat carrier and brought it down. And I'm terrified of heights, so I'm proud of myself. Yeah, because you that maybe they might be your familiars. It's possible. I don't know. There, there, been four or five over the course of my life. My current cat is not black. She is a tabby, torty mix thing. Um, but yeah, I've had lots of black cats and they just follow me home. It's weird. I was thinking about it and I don't I don't know that I've ever like I'm sure I've seen a long-haired black cat, but I never imagine when somebody mentions a black cat, I never imagine it having long hair. I think it's cuz everybody goes with like the, you know, witch imagery. Right. Right. People always think of that and like Salem from Sabrina and stuff. Right. But fluffy black cats are cute because there's just a big ball of fluff and eyes and nothing else in there. Adorable. <laughs> Yeah, I, I went to take a picture of the one I rescued off the off the uh, fire escape, um, and right as I took a picture, it made the worst, like, yawn face ever, <laughs> and so it looked like it was about to eat me in the picture. Um, but it, it, it hung out in my apartment for about a day and a half before I figured out who it belonged to, and uh, got it back to her. I was, like, I was like, so I have this cat in my house. Luckily, my other cat was really cool about it at the time, but I was like, I don't know what to do with this cat. It's not my cat. Um, I don't want to keep this cat. It belongs to somebody. <laughs> somebody else's cat. Well, and now we have microchipping and all that stuff. So, Which, like, if it had been another day, I would have taken it to a vet to see if it was microchipped. But I figured, you know, it was an apartment building. I figured I would at least try locally on, like, Facebook to be like, whose cat right. is this? Right. But, yeah. I found it. It was fine. The cat went back home. Excellent. So we didn't bring on Travis just to talk about cats, though. Um, Why not? We can we can segue directly into cats with uh, musical skirt. Well, no, no. <laughs> well, we could do that too, I suppose. Um, Start singing cats, the musical Uncanny Valley. There are valleys in Scarlands. Some of them are uncanny. <laughs> Done. And Manticora, who are cat folk, live in a valley. It's true. Uh, which is somewhat uncanny. I can see. I can bring everything back to Scarlands. It's a. It's my unique gift. Do Do they live in an uncanny valley? Uh, it can be pretty uncanny sometimes. Um, it can be uh, uh, a, a a bit much. It can be. I'm trying to think of other other ways to say uncanny that aren't. Um, it. it I mean, if it could be a bit much, it is also kind of like Cats the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I did not see... I've never seen Cats the movie. I've never seen any other production of Cats the musical. I don't even know the songs from Cats. What? Yeah, I know. It's weird. 
What? You'd think you'd think it would be right up my alley. See, the musicals I was into. I'm glad to see that we're diving right into the important. This is, this is, this is important. Uh, the <laughs> the musicals that I was into uh, as a child were always um, like horror <laughs> musicals, basically. So like Little Shop, uh, Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. Um, mm-hmm. There aren't many horror musicals. Like it, there are some, and they're good, but they're not. It's not a ton of them. Right. It's not a very uh, ma- massive genre. You know. Um, I'm trying to think. Hush or not Hush? Uh, what was the episode of uh, Once More with Feeling? Um, the episode of Buffy. <laughs> uh, it's a musical episode. It's not a musical. It's a musical that is one it's a musical episode. episode. Of- <laughs> it's a musical episode. Uh, Repo. Um, Repo. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the list. Yeah, so I never I never saw Cats. I, well, I, Cats kind of is a horror musical. <laughs> like it's literally, the, the plot of Cats is literally a bunch of cats introduce themselves until one of them gets permission to die. Like that's literally the plot of Cats. <laughs> Which sounds kind of neat and uh, and fun. I really had wanted to take some sort of mind altering chemical. And go see cats in the theater. And I don't remember why I didn't do it. <laughs> you don't need to, though. From what I understand, it's like you don't, you don't even need the chemical. Just watch it. It, it still makes no. I think I have not seen the movie, but I have heard. I've had the plot of Cats explained to me by three different people in three different ways, and apparently they're all true. <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky, they'll start doing like the culty midnight showings that uh, a lot of people have predicted they will do with this movie. Mm, oh, yeah. I hope so. Especially now that we got the legal weed in, in Illinois. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's catnip. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, there, there. Apparently, people already have improvised like all their own lines to yell at the screen. Um, like it's, it's. People were trying to force a like Rocky Horror esque thing on it. I'm mm-hmm. not sure you can do that. I feel like it has to happen organically. Sure. Right. But yeah. I can definitely like I haven't seen the movie yet. Um, I'm legit sad I didn't see the really bad cut that like had missing CGI. Yeah. <laughs> because I really would have loved to see that. Um, because it it just sounds wild. <laughs> yeah. I mean that seems like that seems like the kind of thing that would make you doubt your own perceptions of reality, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Like there's yeah, there's like, no way that's a human hand. What? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, there were people that said that in some of the crowd scenes, if you looked like off to the side, you could just see a guy in like a gray mocap suit, like surrounded by cats. And it was like, <laughs> why? They, they just missed one. <laughs> How do you do that? Wow. Like what? Uh, so speaking of things that don't suck, let's talk about the stuff. <laughs> Think of things that shouldn't be seen. Let's talk about Sparklands. <laughs> I said they don't suck. That's the it's the best uh it's the best description of Scarlands I've ever heard. My work here is done. Cape swoosh into Lake Scarlands, it doesn't suck. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna make you a t-shirt. Scarlands, it doesn't suck. I love it. I'll alternate that in my Tech Happens t-shirt that I still need to make. Yeah, um, so um, uh, we, we did do a deep dive on Scarlands a while back, but um, in case people didn't hear that episode, or just kind of a refresher. Um, can you give us a, a, a history of, of what Scarlands is and how it got into Onyx Path's hands and ultimately your hands? Sure. So um, my understanding of this, um, I, got, I, I had the grand pleasure at Gen Con last year of speaking with... Um, with Steve Wick. And so my, uh, was it fun? 
Because I find him intimidating. Oh, it was, it was, a, it was a great deal of fun. Um, Every time he looks at me, I'm just like, yeah, he's got, he's got piercing eyes. He has a presence. Uh, no, he, no doubt. <laughs> he's a very nice guy for the record. Yes, um, yes. Steve is great, but he is like just an intimidating presence of a person. Well, and see, because when um, when I got to develop, I'm going to go a question from the weirdest angle, Eddie. Sorry. Um, so when I got <laughs> the uh, when I got the developer gig, um, I, it was shortly before Gen Con, and so I, I bumped into Steve and was like, "I would love to sit down and talk with you about it." Um, you know, at some point when you have time. And so my understanding as a fan of the setting from when the first Creature Collection came out uh, was that there was just kind of this uh, kismet, this, this uh, at the time, uh, Dungeons & Dragons 3rd Edition had just come out. They released mm-hmm. the Player's Guide, the Dungeon Master's Guide, and then the open game license, mm-hmm. and they had not released a monster manual. And so, in that interim period, uh, Stu and Steve and I—I uh, uh, I think Rich was involved at that point, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and some various other folk that were uh, at White Wolf at the time—basically uh, saw this pristine opportunity to to put together the first. Uh, monster collection for D&D 3rd edition and mm-hmm. creature collection was born of that and the lore um, that surrounded these monsters which were mind blowing at the time to look at these because all the monsters in Dungeons and Dragons up to that point I mean there's a lot of cool monsters in, in, in the history of D&D don't get me wrong but there was something just visceral and just next level creepy about the monsters that were in creature collection. And so it beat the monster manual market, but they had this lore of this world that was, that was sort of crafted through the backstories of these monsters. And let me interject here real quick. Cause there's a little tip historical tidbit. I don't think I mentioned last time that I find really interesting about that. Historical tidbit with Eddie. <laughs> yes, the piano player should be playing in the background. Um, uh, so Ryan, Dan- Sorry. Mm-hmm. Ryan Dancy was actually one of the people uh, who was instrumental at then was to the coast uh, to getting the open game license as a thing. Um, and uh, through the vagaries of how the industry works, um, he ended up being the marketing director of White Wolf CCP um, around 2008 when I started working there. And so I remember, I think it was at a party and I just asked him, I was like, so you were there when the, the, the creature companion actually beat the monster manual market. I'm curious, were you mad? Were you pissed off? Did people get angry that they use? He's like, no, I thought it was the greatest thing ever. Apparently he got a copy of it and showed it around the office at Wizards of the Coast and they're going, look, see, this is the kind of cool things that people can do with this. Um, so it was, it, was, it was interesting to know that kind of industry history of like both sides of that story. That is a that is a cool perspective and 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 interesting to know and and like and like that's the thing about it. like it's such a weird moment right because it was the first time that that, that had had really happened <clears throat> and so I, I I as a fan really enjoyed it years later uh, I've been a fan of Scarlands pretty much since that book came out years later when I get the job I know I'm telling this story like way out of sequence but years later when I, when I get fine. the job. Um, 
I run into Steve and I'm like, oh, I would love to talk to you about it. And, you know, we're at a con, so it's like, oh, let's share an email and there we go. And so I email him, you know, after the convention, he gets back to me and he goes, you know, I was thinking about this really hard and I don't remember writing, like, I don't remember the, the all I remember is one big blur of stress while we were making that book. <laughs> that sounds about <laughs> right. <laughs> because they knew that they had that moment where they could beat the monster manual of the market. So they were gonna. Um, and so I don't know. I got the impression that a lot of the stuff that made their made its way into that book were things like from uh, Rich and Stu and Steve's home games um, mm-hmm. that had just sort of been crafted into this world. And then the world got built around that book. So then you have Relics and Rituals, which was a, a magic, like magic items and spells collection. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, uh, some historian can correct me if I'm wrong. I think the first like setting book where it really got into the, um, you know, geography of Gelspad and the nations therein and all that was like the fifth or sixth thing to come out for the line. You know, it was, it was a, a line that was really built supplement by supplement. So you could play in this world they were introducing, or you could just plug it into your own D and D game. Right. Yeah. It was definitely, um, it was definitely meant to be kind of here's bits and pieces of things that could go in any D and D game. But like you said, the, the flavor text around the monsters and the items built up this kind of aggregate world as a result. And then, so, <clears throat> excuse me, as you're getting into the, um, you know, as those, as the world starts to calcify, you start to see the, um, you know, the, the, the influence of, uh, you know, the Greek mythology obviously is a, a very strong influence on Scarred Lands. And you have this world that is um, inspired by, though certainly not a direct uh, reference to Greek mythology. And the, the war between the Titans and the gods uh, that you often see in, in, in that sort of a referential uh, setting uh, has happened within living memory, right? So... If you're a member of a long-lived race, um, you know, like an elf or a dwarf, you might well have fought in this war, you know, right. shoulder to shoulder with a god. You know, the, the war happened on the ground, um, and it twisted the world. Uh, there are remnants of this war all over the place. The Titans couldn't really be killed. They could just be sort of defeated and dismembered and 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 imprisoned or otherwise uh, incapacitated. So in several places, the geography is mutated or affected or even comprised of titanic corpses, effectively. Uh, you know, you have the Fangs mm-hmm. Fall Mountains, uh, which are, you know, Gorak, the Titan of Gluttony, his teeth were ripped out, and as they landed on the ground, they turned into a mountain range. Um, you know, the mm-hmm. Blood Sea is this giant ocean that's uh, filled with the literal blood of a titan who lies chained at the base at the at the floor of the sea with his heart ripped out and is still bleeding out into the ocean. Um, yeah, yes. it's it's fun stuff. So it's <laughs> it's it's a very um, it's like post-apocalyptic fantasy uh, in a world that is still 
highly damaged and uh, highly corrupted by the effects of this war. Perhaps even Perhaps scarred. Even scarred. Yeah. What? I love it when they get the name of the show in the show. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's where it gets its 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 moniker, and so. To me, the thing that was the most... Um, so, now I'm crossing my streams mentally. Uh, this world was introduced through Creature Collection, built up through several supplements. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there was a total of 40 books that were released in 3rd edition, give or take. Um, so, it was a, it was a vast, uh, in-depth, highly expanded setting. And then... Uh, when Wizards went to 4th edition, they went with the GSL. And I think maybe one Scarlands book got put out for that, maybe? Um, maybe I think there was maybe yeah. a Creature Collection adaptation for 4th edition. Um, I could be misremembering that, though. Um, but it basically fell by the wayside. And then... It looks like there was a Creatures Collection. I am looking at the uh, listing yeah. for it. It was called Fiery Dragon. And or it was by Fiery Dragon. I don't know. I'm just looking things up on the internet. <laughs> and then uh you know when no and again, uh Eddie, you were there, so you might be able to uh correct me if my understanding is wrong. But my understanding is is that when Onyx Path uh was founded, um there were certain properties that uh at that point Rich acquired outright, being you know the Trinity Continuum, mm-hmm. uh, Scion, and then he and Stu Wick went in together to get Scarred Lands, and yep. and so they decided they were going to bring this to Kickstarter, uh, and I believe the initial plan was it was just going to be a Pathfinder um, version because the fifth edition OGL mm-hmm. hadn't dropped yet, and so. Yep. In process, as they were preparing the Kickstarter, um, the 5th edition OGL dropped, so um, they said, well, let's add a 5th edition option as well. And they developed these two books simultaneously, which sounds maddening, and I'm glad I missed it. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so... The way it worked overall for for both of those, which I only know because I talked to Rose Bailey about it because I edited it, um, is that all of the flavor was the same for both books. So the bulk of the text, as far as the like history of Gel's Pad and even the descriptions of monsters for the most part, all that kind of stuff, is the exact same for both books. Right. It's just the mechanics and spells and stuff that are different. But that that's the part that's the most... I don't know about other uh, game de- game designers. I shouldn't speak for anybody else. But as I've confessed, I believe to Eddie on a number of occasions, I'm not very good at math. So, so that sound, which is a weird problem to have as a game designer, but it's true. Um, so, so that part sounds. Hey, that's 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 why you hire people that are good at math. I'm right. Not great and, at math so either. that part sounds right. horrible. Like that sounds like the worst part to me. <laughs> you know, trying to uh, make things work in two systems. Yeah, I mean, I think. I could be completely incorrect on this because I wasn't actually on the dev team, but I I think that what happened is they just made one book and then somebody just translated the rules to the other rule set. 
So I'll say I actually wrote on the book, um, and originally I was hired to work on just a Pathfinder version of the book. Um, that being said, I also only wrote flavor, um, so uh, I don't know about it. But basically, we were in the process of making a manuscript, which is going to be a Pathfinder book. And then at some point in time, it was, oh, we're going to do a fifth edition book. So yeah, uh, there was a, a conversion process. I don't know if it was one person or a team of people or whatever. But yeah, basically, it took the existing Pathfinder manuscript, converted it to 5e, and then made a separate book out of it. Mm-hmm. Because the, the version I edited was technically, I think, the Pathfinder version. Mm -hmm. But I'm listed on both of them because I edited all the setting. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's a different editor on, like, the like, 5e version lists two editors. Pathfinder only lists one, I think. <laughs> I think. Or we're right. both listed on both. I have no idea. I got paid for That's it. Right. It was five years ago. Um, I, I, I don't remember what happened five years ago. I don't remember what happened a month ago. <laughs> who are you people why are you in my so, house so that all of that occurs and then unfortunately uh Stu passed and very suddenly no nobody saw that coming um and so mm -mm. there was kind of um this needing to figure out fulfilling the rest of the obligations of the kickstarter because that wasn't even done uh and mm -hmm. I, th again, Eddie, you can certainly correct me. Well, Dixie at this point as well, you can certainly correct me if I'm wrong on this, but my understanding is, is that, um, once all that got done, uh, things kind of lay fallow a little bit in the Scarredlands realm, uh, because there were, you know, there was a Scion to launch and there was, you know, the story path system to sort out and, and attention was elsewhere. And um, my understanding is that that got sort of reignited a bit uh, when Rich and John from Handiwork Games were talking about the Creature Collection, which just finished on uh, right. Kickstarter. I mean, there there were things happening in that time. There was The Wise and the Wicked, the Vigilant novel, um, which I quite enjoy. Yeah. I know that, like... Our, our game tie-in fiction is not something that gets everybody super excited. I think most of it is really, really, really good. And Vigilant, specifically, if you just like a fantasy novel, you don't need to know anything about Scarlands to read it. It's just a good fantasy novel. I will also say that um, uh, you've kind of gone over it, but I mean, the, from, from a market perspective, like you said, you know, originally Rich was supposed to be 50% on making a Pathfinder book. And then suddenly we're 100% on a Pathfinder and 5e book. And then during that point where we delivered the 5e book, what the 5th edition Dungeons Dragons landscape looked like changed radically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like things like the DMs Guild came up and, um, you know, 5e selling in record numbers, you know, it was really meant to be, oh, Pathfinder will be the core of our, our, our design. And then 5e will be, well, let's just do 5e books. That's relatively easy to make. And then you know fifth edition first edition pathfinder wrapped up and now they have a second edition out so there's a lot of moving parts in there so i think some of it was yes we had other things to get out we also like dixie said had things that were going on in the background but also a certain bit of seeing where things were going to settle down a bit to figure out what our path forward was going to be and that yeah. was part of the reason bringing you on board was to once you once we had a sense of what we wanted to do we knew we needed someone to kind of pay attention to it and give it that forward momentum right which i appreciate um but and and I wasn't sure like how much of the um, 
wise and the wicked and vigilant and um the spear ghost adventures like i wasn't sure how much that was still kickstarter stuff oh, yeah that had i think to be... i think that was mostly kickstarter stuff but i i still consider those all separate projects obviously you know oh for sure absolutely i mean and so as that stuff was getting buttoned up um i know uh rich and john had uh, met and talked about doing the creature collection for handiwork mm-hmm. through handiwork and i got brought on in the midst of that being worked on mm-hmm. um which was cool because I went from um, getting to look at it just like from a fan perspective and, and geek out because it's such a beautiful book and it's so beautiful. It's so beautifully put together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then all of a sudden it was, oh, and can you give some feedback on this? Oh, and can you check the numbers on this stuff? Here you go. Just look everything over. Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Okay. <laughs> Right, like it turned into that, it morphed into that over time, which was cool. Um, and I actually got to do a little bit of writing on it as well, which was very nice. Um, it was a lot of fun. I got to work on the Carnival Crew, um, and I get uh, I, being in the in the unique position I am with the Twitch channel. I deal a lot with the streamers, um, not only on our channel but the streamers we host, and I've become very good friends with uh, with Connery from uh, Devil's Luck Gaming. Mm-hmm. And they recently did a, a plot that involved the Carnival Crew. Um, and for those of you who are in the audience and may not know, the Carnival Crew is this uh, sort of dark carnival that operates in the Scarred Lands. Uh, they're based in the continent of Termana, which we haven't really touched in the current edition much other than mentioning it. Um, but the Carnival Crew does show up in the in the Gelspad, or the... Um, Spirit Ghost trilogy. And I've, to me, I've always just thought of them. And I mean this in the, in the sweetest way possible as fantasy juggalos. <laughs> um. What is the sweetest way possible to say that? I'm curious. I'm making a face right now. <laughs> like, I don't, I was, I, I don't know. I, I don't like this. <laughs> well, you know, I just, I, they show up, they create a bunch of chaos, they spray Fago potion on everything, and then they leave. Um. <laughs> you realize that because of this comparison, I now want to cut them from any book they're in. Because that sounds like a terrible idea. I would have to tamp down in one of my other writers. <laughs> I'm just saying the comparison is apt and it's there. Um, <laughs> I, do with it what you will. I'm not. I'm not saying canonically you have to give them Fago. I'm gonna throw it in the bin. Um, That's what I'm gonna do with it. <laughs> do with it what I will. Toss it into the sea. <laughs> with Matthew, which is interesting because they have to cross the Blood Sea to get to Gelsbad. But anyway, um, <laughs> so their pirate juggler yeah, is even better. <laughs> right. <laughs> Juggalos? I did say pirate juggalos. <laughs> did you... <laughs> Why are we talking about juggalos? <laughs> Not um, high school. Uh, anyway. <laughs> because revolutions make for strange friends. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so uh, I got to work on Creature Collection. I had to write the um, car- a couple of Carnival Crew uh, 
entries in there. It was a lot of fun. Um, but that, ha well, that happened well into my work as a developer. So the work as a developer started um, with a couple of very small projects. We had not done spell cards yet for Scared Lands, and we had not done uh, a GM screen. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I believe, uh, like, I, it was at Gen Con I mentioned to... Matt, because I'd always been a fan of the setting, I mentioned to Matt McElroy, like, if you're doing anything, please let me know. Uh, he talked to you, Eddie, and you reached out to me about the, um, I think it was the GM screen yeah, first. Right. And so going through, knocking that out, that was pretty cool. It was a low stress, low impact kind of a job. Um, easy peasy. I had to put some stuff on the screen that I thought... Uh, was very pertinent to having like a setting that has a whole bunch of different languages and none of them are common. Um, I thought it was important to like have those available for the GM, stuff like that. So getting to get into those nuts and bolts was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And then it just sort of spiraled out from there. And then we had the, uh, the great blood sea debacle of, uh, <laughs> what is, what is the great blood sea debacle? What is that? So, um, Eddie comes to me and he's like, we want to convert oh, yeah, Blood Sea 5e in time for before Ghost of Salt Marsh hits. And I was like, right on, let's do it. Um, we're converting the book. And he's like, yep. So I write a pitch for, oh, bless you, dear. Sorry. Um, sorry, no. <laughs> um, That's okay. Uh, so uh, I write a pitch, an outline for a 96,000 word conversion of the Blood Sea book to the fifth edition. And uh, I get back the feedback. Yeah, we're not. We're just looking for something that's like 32 pages. <laughs> because when I, I said, I like to do a conversion of the book. And in my head, I was like, so just write the stuff that needs to be converted. And Travis was like, I will change everything. And I was like, okay, there's a middle ground here we need to find. <laughs> so, yeah, it was. But we worked. it worked out really well. Um, and we got Celeste Conowich to work on that, who is... Uh, just an amazing author. She's uh, doing some stuff now uh, with the DMs Guild Adepts program. Uh, she does some stuff with Cobalt Press. She's just wonderful person and really gets the setting. She uh, definitely gets the balance between, um, you know, your standard fantasy and heavy metal magazine that is required for this setting to function. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun. We dove in and did that. And then from there, we started, uh, I sent in the pitches for Yugman's Guide to Gelspad and Vigil Watch, mm. uh, which were, uh, I think, a little bit, um, it, it was an ambitious attempt to... Um, kind of kill two birds with one stone as I was constructing it in my head anyway. Uh, Cause I wanted to have, you know, Vig Vigil Watch is very much a uh, setting rich uh, location based, you know, let's touch on these places that we have not gone over yet in the existing material. Uh, whereas Yugman's Guide to Gelspad was kind of like a player's guide part two. Mm. Um, but in my head, they all very much, it was like this whole thing was interconnected to create this sort of, let's fill in the gaps. As a, as a 
narratively as a designer, I like to look for places where we haven't, where there are gaps and, and put uh, seeds in those to see what grows from them. And that's very much what those two projects were based on. And so now uh, they are rolling out to the public. They're uh, the first installment of both of those is out. We've decided to go with a um, somewhat experimental release uh, strategy, though it was first, I think the first time Onyx Path did it was with the Exalted books, right? Yeah. This sort of serialized release. I was going to say, it's not really experimental. It's more that it's a refined version of what we did with Exalted, where yeah. we wrote it ahead of time to release it monthly so that we didn't right. like little little bit of behind the scenes stuff for Pathcast listeners is the amount of times that an exalted monthly release was about to go up and there was just a flurry of emails back and forth between Mike Cheney and myself and the developers and everything going like where's the text for this did anybody proof this what's the art look like is this done yet I don't know it goes up tomorrow um right. <laughs> was uh, not not great uh so much like we pre-write our kickstarter manuscripts now we also, if we do a monthly release thing, it, it it's not going to be delayed because, you know, something didn't get turned in. <laughs> right. Right. And, and we've got these, because it's two separate projects, they're being released in like a alternate, alternating uh, bi-monthly rhythm, right? Mm -hmm. So every month you will get new Scarlands content. And... Uh, you know, the first month it will be a Yugman's Guide to Gelspad section, which will be play basically player-facing content. Um, and then the following month will be Vigil Watch, which will be a, a location unto itself, usually with like an adventure tied into it. Uh, so it's a lot of fun to to roll those out and to see how those are are being responded to. You're the person who actually suggested the monthly content idea. Um, so what was your logic behind that i mean you know as opposed to just making one one book out of the gate um the reality of the situation that i am perpetually trying to solve is that to my mind scarredlands is one of the coolest settings that has ever graced the ogl dnd &D fantasy landscape mm -hmm. um and that's got a whole lot to do with the people that came before me um, it's just a beautiful setting and I love it. And I feel like there's a gap in awareness about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was really a strategic decision in terms of, well, it was two things. One, I wanted to make sure that we had content going up every month so that it was always in front of people. There was always something new. There was always something new to, to, to bring, uh, folks in an, always an on-ramp. Mm -hmm. um, but also uh, because I felt that from a production standpoint, um, we would be able to, uh, it would be more digestible uh, and less of less impacting on something that is, um, I don't want to say it's riskier than like, uh, you know, Trinity Continuum or, or Scion, um, because obviously there's a big risk. And the risks involved with the different lines are all their own unique risks, right? right? But um, it is very much kind of an outside of that machine. So I wanted to give it kind of its own life so that it can sustain outside of that machine. 
if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the, the problem that I was trying to solve, or at least hoping to solve with pitching, doing it that way, was that we could do it in a, in a, in a way that would be less impactful, you know, several, you know, 12 speed bumps rather than trying to climb two hills, you know, or two mountains. Sure. As it were. And also, um, is, is there a steady churn of content? Um, one of the things that the Exalted serialized release tried to do as well is that there's a steady drip of, oh, here's a new thing, a new thing, a new thing. that so gets that awareness out there of, oh, hey, there's always new stuff coming out. Right, getting stuff out in front of in front of people. And the uh, open development playtesting that I've been doing um, has also been vital in that regard Mm -hmm. like that that's another place where you know serves multiple masters yes this feedback that we're getting from the audience is amazing been very helpful especially appreciated from a developer who's not necessarily great at math um (laughs) but uh (laughs) but it also does serve to once again you know while this process has been going on every week i can say hey look at this new scarlands thing and it's a, and it serves as a preview as to what's to come in, in Visual Watch and Yugman's Guide. So, you know, I try to uh, as much as possible. You know, I, I got into this business because I love telling stories, and I love telling stories with people. Mm-hmm. Right? That's that's why I'm here. But uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm aware it's a business, mm-hmm. and so I try to think in terms of, you know how can we serve the master of commerce uh, without, you know, completely uh, pooching the storytelling aspect of it? Absolutely. If that makes sense. sense. Yeah, it does. Um, so uh, aside from uh, Yugman's Guide and Visual Watch, um, is there anything else on the horizon for Scarlands that you're working on? Yes. So if you look at the... Um, Monday meeting notes for the last several uh, weeks, months. You'd see uh, this little entry that says Rust Working Title. And uh, this week we have come to a actual title, uh, which is going to be Dead Man's Rust. And Dead, mm-hmm. Dead Man's Rust is a uh, full-length campaign that will be set in Central Gelsbad. Uh, take... It will have content for characters from levels 1 through 10. Uh, and will take take the party on an adventure. Um, we're creating kind of a sandbox in that central Gelspad region that covers uh, the Hornsaw Forest, the Broadreach Horizon, uh, the Gleaming Valley, and Glivet Autel, which is sort of this city full of um, horrifically evil necromancers. One of the things that I kind of love about Scarlands as a setting is that necromancy is not in and of itself considered to be evil. Uh, there is, in mm. fact, a city called Holofaust uh, where they use necromancy to achieve all their public works. So the guards are all undead. The sanitation is run by undead people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and and this is not viewed as something that's like horrible and creepy. This is just kind of the way things are done there. Right. Um, it's not. There's no inherent evil to uh, the art of necromancy. 
Having said that, the necromancers of Glividotel are just in, incredibly evil. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hashtag not all necromancers, right? Right. They are they are they are the worst of the worst of the worst. And getting to play in that particular sandbox is horrendously fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Horrendous. <laughs> so so the they kind of are going to be um, prominent, I guess I could say, in this. Uh, right. campaign and we get to really play with a lot of cool areas the hornsaw forest is uh horrend- just awfully now no, i'm now i'm stuck on horrendous it's just it's horrendously <laughs> corrupted um because one of the titans was ripped to pieces there so their blood went all over the place that's where the hornsaw unicorn of scarred lands comes from um you know one of the things I like to point to when I'm introducing Scarlands to new players is if you want an idea of what our setting is like, just look at our unicorns. Uh, right. you know, we've got these terrifying. giant muscular unicorns with serrated horns. You know, <laughs> 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 it's pretty much a, a good idea of, of what the setting overall is like, but that, but so that a lot of the action will take place in that forest and the hollow legionnaires will be playing <laughs> a fairly significant role Um in this story um and you see some of the stuff leading into that uh in yugman's guide already so it's kind of uh these things that you're that that you're seeing come out in yugman's guide now will start to pay off in rust the revised rules for the hollow legionnaire uh the introduction this in the first uh yugman's guide we released uh introduced the broad reach dwarves um mm-hmm. you know who are just now returning to the Scarred Lands after uh, several years of imprisonment by the necromancers of Glivodotel, who basically enslaved them. Um, so a lot of these things are all coming to a head narratively and giving characters an opportunity to get in at the ground level as starting characters and really explore these aspects of, of, the, of the world and fight um, ultimately one of the most awful and just evil characters in the scarred lands canon and i can't wait to see how it plays out at people's tables and i, I want to tell you everything about it um but it's probably a little premature for that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is in first draft so things are subject to change lots, as we all know yeah lots of it is but it, the stuff that's coming in right now i'm doing uh <clears throat> Not to get too deep into the, you know, how the sausage is made, but I'm doing a very different development process than is normally done uh, because it's such a massive interconnected uh, sandboxy adventure. I wanted something Mm -hmm. that that worked along the lines of like, um, you know, Storm King's Thunder for D&D where like you have this A plot that runs through it, but there's so much sandbox around it. You could run it without ever touching that A plot, right? Right. Um, So because we're doing it that way, there's a lot more... um, milestones involved so i get to see the writer's progress a lot faster um and a lot more frequently and it's just i'm so over the moon with you you can't even i'm so excited i can't even put into words about the coolness of the stuff that's coming across across my desk for it i'm super that's a good sign though if you're if you're getting excited about it then uh, that odds are that will translate to other people getting excited about it too i found that's the hope that's the hope but we got a really amazing uh crew of writers working on it and i am i just i i I wish i could just like 
one of the worst things about being in a development position for me is not being able to go on my Facebook and be like, did you see this thing that just right, happened? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Slack is for though. Yes. It's true. It's true. Like you get excited in the Slack. It's true. And, and we're pretty, uh, we're pretty good over there about, uh, patting each other on the back and calling out each other's awesome, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's fortunate because there's a lot of it going around. I really am uh, stoked. It's, it's very cool to see these ideas that like, you know, you launch a seed out there and see how the writers play with it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really neat. Absolutely. Sorry. Um, I didn't mean you're... to cut you off Dixie. I was just excited. No, it's, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's just so excited. Um, we are getting close to time, but, um, uh, I do want to touch, uh, you are working on a couple of other projects for us that are unrelated to Scarland. Do you want to talk a little bit about those? Yes. So, um, I have largely finished the development process of Technocracy Reloaded. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, that was a dream come true in about a hundred thousand ways. Um, Mage was one was really the first. Like I played Vampire in 1992, like everybody else did. But um, Mage was the was the World of Darkness game that grabbed me. And you know, it's when I I think like 18 or 19 year old me sent in a, a pitch or a submission to try to write for Mage back in the White mm-hmm. Wolf days. Like, so it was very much like bucket list moment. And I came into the project um, late in the game and not under the best of circumstances, but I got to work pretty closely with um, Phil Bricado and with, uh, with Danielle Lazan, who's the other developer on it. And so, and that process was um, just wonderful. Just getting to work with these beautiful minds who are just incredibly creative on a property that I've loved since I was basically a kid. Um, that was, uh, that was mind blowing and, and being able to bring forth the technocracy into the 21st century and then into facing the the issues that are in the world now, making it as real uh, as it, uh, you know, as grounded in reality as it was back then, mm-hmm. right? How does the technocracy address the fact that the greatest existential threat humanity faces right now is climate change, right? right. If you look at first edition, technocracy would have been the ones causing it, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So how does that, how do we shift, right. how do we shift gears on that and make it, work at the table um that was a a fun problem to solve and you know there were there were a lot of uh discussions and and really cool narrative twists that we applied to that but there's also a certain amount of sometimes you just throw a hit mark at the problem so i'm excited to see how people (laughs) sometimes you got to throw a robot at problems i'm excited to see how people uh react to it i'm 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 very obviously with everything going on in in the world at the moment um, you know, things are maybe even a little bit more like, we don't know for sure when this is going to 
coalesce. Uh, but it's coalescing, and it is in the in the wings. I promise, and it is beautiful, and it'll be worth the wait. Um, the only other thing that I think is probably safe and merits mentioning uh, is the Legend Lore Kickstarter is up, mm-hmm. and I had the extreme pleasure of working on that, um, and that was a that was a hoot too. Um, I got to develop some pretty cool. Well, I got to write on, I did not develop that book. I got to write some pretty cool um, magic system stuff. Uh, the way that magic works in the realm um, is pretty well defined in the comic. And mm-hmm. so we, we had we had to find mm-hmm. some ways to uh, sort of massage the fifth edition rules into that framework, uh, which was a lot of fun because I, I got to sort of attack it from perspectives that you don't normally get to, to do when you're designing. Um, and solving those problems is a lot of fun. And I'm really, I'm really pleased with and proud of the way it turned out. I'm looking forward to hearing what people think in the Kickstarter. Absolutely, that's awesome. And, and yeah, um, in case it wasn't clear, um, that Kickstarter is going on right now. Um, so, and we're still, I think, about halfway funded at the point of recording. Yeah, thereabouts. Um, so, so it's definitely a time to kind of get involved and 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 back that because, like Travis said, it's 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 fun to try to adapt something into a new format so like you know this is a comic book that had some pretty well-established rules in a dnd ish world and so getting actual dungeon dragons to align with that i'm sure that was a fun uh, design challenge but also um you can fact that you can play yourself in a fantasy world and and all of the things you can, you can play a, a, an elf or dwarf or whatever just out of the gate if you want to but you know the idea that someone crossing over from this world into this fantasy world and how that changes things and how that affects you mm-hmm. all Potentially very, very cool. So yeah, definitely. I highly recommend checking out the uh, um, Legend Lore Kickstarter if you have a chance. Um, so the, Travis, thank you for, for coming on board and acting as our kind of backup, Matthew. You're very welcome. My work here is done. <laughs> Dracula like, off. Come on, y'all. The like, the like, hello was okay. Let's, <laughs> let's not do that anymore. <laughs> um, but if people wanted to find you online, how would they find you? I am at Travis Leg pretty much everywhere. So, uh, last name is spelled L E G G E. Um, yep, at Travis Leg on uh, all your social medias. Uh, I have a Patreon where I put up um, exclusive RPG content once a month for everybody who supports it, like a dollar or more. And then uh, behind the scenes looks at the various uh, projects that I have going on that aren't under NDAs. Um, and I stream on Twitch uh, at Plastic Age Plays when I'm not coordinating the programming at uh, the Onyx Path, twitch.tv forward slash the Onyx Path. Uh, so those are all the places you can find me. Excellent. Nixie, how about you? Uh, you can find me at Dixie Cyanide pretty much everywhere or my website, DixieCochran.com. Any. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, you can find me at uh, pugsteady.com, and from there you can get access to all of my social media accounts. Accounts. Um, I realized the past couple weeks I've been spelling out the Twitter handle, but not my website. So pugsteady is P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y. Um, my my Twitter account is P-U-G-S-T-E-D-D-Y. It's like my name. Um, and you can also find all of us at uh, theonyxpath.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, Discords, all the usual places. Like Travis said, we do have a Twitch stream, uh, 
channel, which is just going like gangbusters. It, it seems like there's multiple shows every day now, and I'm just thrilled to see just how much stuff is happening on there, which even like a year, a year and a half ago, we're like, what are we going to do with this Twitch thing? And now suddenly it seems like we are doing a lot with this Twitch thing. And a lot of that comes up to people like Travis and Matthew helping out. So, I mean, it's definitely appreciated. If you are into Twitch and watching actual plays or even people like me talking about process, go check it out. Um, and as you mentioned, the Legend Lore Kickstarter is still going on. Check that out. Um, and then uh, we'll see how things go from here. Um, we'll probably have some kind of podcast content in the future. But again, like I said, getting, it's going to be a bit odd for a while. So we appreciate your patience as we figure things out, as we all walk together on this onyx path towards a new world. <laughs> what was that? I, I, I was trying to work on this path, and again, Travis likes to have the name of the, the thing in the movie, in the book, so whatever. The okay. name showed All up. Right. The name showed All up. Right. Uh, real quick, I can't believe I forgot to mention this, but um, as everybody is sort of uh, isolating with the uh, COVID stuff going on, mm -hmm. um, I'm working with developers, the showrunners, the people on Twitch to try to make sure we have a little bit of impromptu content popping up as well. Um, so if you're not okay. following, make sure you follow because we might have some stuff that's not on the schedule just to give people something to do, something to watch, something to have some fun. So uh, check it out. And you can always check out the archives too if you've subscribed. Sorry, Absolutely. I just had to make sure I got that out there. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. I didn't know that part, so that's good to know. Um, so as always, many worlds, one path castle.